Texas has not won the Big 12 since 2009. Is Texas back in 2023? Out to the KDUS hotline and go. And to answer that annual, seemingly annual question, and uh, to preview the Longhorns, we're now joined in the uh, sports zone by Cole Thompson of Longhorns Country. And Cole, immediately I apologize for using, uh, for being actually, I guess, the latest smart-ass jerk uh, to go with the Texas, is Texas back angle. So instead, let me just ask you, what's a blueprint in which Texas will be back in 2023? No, I mean, come on, dude. You're fine with using the Texas back. We all hear it. Everyone has to go ahead and find a way to mess it up, like by week three, because they get an upset win and then they lose to a random Texas Tech team. But I think that's kind of the big point, is that you have to look right now at where Texas is. They have a roster that's more than capable of not just making a big ball title game, they get to a national championship. They feel confident at the quarterback position, not just with what you got between viewers, but little what they like at the backup with Arch Manning and Malik Murphy. I mean, I talked to somebody inside the building about a month ago, and they said, keep a close eye on Malik Murphy. There's a reason why he got enough first-team reps during practice this summer, because, I mean, this spring, because they really like what he's able to bring to the table. Uh, offensive line is now a veteran group. It's really stable up front. They love their defensive depth, especially in the secondary. They went and they added Jalen Cavalon from Arkansas. They went and they got uh, Gavin Holmes, the cornerback from Wake Forest. They got a top three recruiting class as well. I mean, Malik Muhammad's a name that is probably not going to garner a ton of attention from people, but it is a name that you probably want to know by the end of this year. He has a very good shot of coming in and being the number two corner. They got to find consistency. That's the main thing. You, you can't go Tuscaloosa in week two and absolutely play your heart out. Maybe walk away with a victory, and three weeks later, find a way to lose to a Kansas State or find a way to lose to a Baylor team. They have to be on their P's and Q's at all times. So whatever you see in week two is what you want to see in week eight. You don't want to see regression when an Iowa State comes to town. You don't want to see you go to Houston because you're coming off a bye week and you were taking the time to reevaluate yourself. You need to have that simple sound, mind, motion, all those little nuances that have really deteriorated Texas for a while because the roster is there. It's in the production and can the time be there. Okay, let's get to the Steve Sarkeesian thing next. Uh, third season with Texas, 13-12 and 12, the first two years, uh, extending his head coaching career from Washington, USC, and Texas. He's had zero 10-1 seasons in all those years, never finished with a team in the top 20 at the end of his season. So how hot is Sark's seat in Austin, and what are your impressions of him after two years with the Longhorns? Uh, quarter than the other side of the pillow. That's how hot his seat is. Because of <laughs> right now, the only way he's not losing – the only way he's losing his job is he's in the locker room. His ability to recruit and be able to build this roster for the SEC in 2024 will give him a nullification pass if they were to go 8-4, 8-5, 7-5, 9-3 – I'm not saying that the job that he's done has been exceptional, but there has been progression at every single level. And recruiting Texas last year finished number three. The first year he was there, they finished number 11. Uh, with quarterback position, they weren't able to land consistent five stars. Now they have four, uh, three in the building, and they like Charles Wright. Uh, they continue to really work the transfer portal by kind of instead of taking every player possible, they go with the, we're going to be selective, we're going to look at our positions, we're not going to overspend why you went and got A.D. Mitchell at the wide receiver spot, why you went and got Gavin Holmes, why you went and got Jalen Catalan. 
from an offensive play calling, the run game is going to be set back, but that was always going to happen because you lost both Deshaun Robinson and Roshan Johnson. But the passing game, they really think this to be a top 10 unit, and on paper, there's really not a reason why they shouldn't. I mean, you have an All-American tight end in Jacadion Sanders. You have an All-American wide receiver in Xavier Worthy, a good spot receiver in Jordan Whittington. I haven't even talked about Isaiah Mayor because if he got hurt last year in fall camp where he missed the entire season, he was an all-Mountain West player when he was at Wyoming. So it's hard to say right now that you can put Sark on the hot seat only because, of, yeah, the expectations of Texas are influential. But the other thing is that what if a lot of these players came to Texas to play for Sark? And now you go to the SEC. Well, not only is going to lose a ton of players to the transfer portal, but you're also now putting yourself at a disadvantage because of everyone now knows what the expectation is Texas for a first-time coach ever in a new conference. You know, a couple of years ago, I got in an argument with somebody saying, what's the hardest job in the SEC? I said it was Auburn. And the reason it's Auburn is because they are a tier <laughs> two program with tier one expectations. They can go ahead and find ways to get to nine and three, and that's not good enough. As much as I think that Texas wants to be there, they have to get this at least one season in the SEC. It feels like right now starts the right guy. I would be very, very shocked to see if that's head coach in 2024. I agree with your Auburn assessment, by the way, so good on that. Um, the 2023 Longhorns, I got 16 returning starters, nine on offense, six on defense, a kicker. But I want to ask first uh, specifically about a player not returning. You mentioned Bijan Robinson. He's a Tucson high school product, so we've been following him for a long time. Uh, over 1,600 yards rushing, 18 rushing touchdowns last year. How do they try to replace him? They have some guys, and I think that's going to be the main thing is it's a running back by committee approach. They do have players they really like. Jonathan Brooks was one player that they said has a little bit of an emulation of Roshan Johnson with the physicality after contact. So I would not be shocked to see him get run into the ground a little bit early on, mainly due to the fact that they're trying to go ahead and fix the offensive personnel however you can. They have a guy named Fabian Red who's a wide receiver type slash running back. I think that's something that you want to monitor because if they want to utilize the Debo Samuel approach, that's probably who you would go to. And they also added a kid named T.J. Baxter, who was the number two uh, running back prospect out of Florida this past year. Number one running back prospect out of Florida, number two running back prospect overall. The kid's already looking like a veteran in practice. The way that he moves, the way that he shuffles, his good footwork, his ability to be able to extend plays out into the second and third level defense. I think that's more so a saying of where you need to work on the defensive side, if I'm being completely real, but there's a way to be able to replace production. And the other way is that also you can pass down more on second and third down. You can not trust the run game. You can try to have the run to set up the pass, and then from there, go ahead and figure things out later. Because that's kind of where you are right now with Texas. Last year, they were so predicated on the run that we eventually opened up the pass. Now, to be passed to open up the run would be a great deal, I think, for guys like Jonathan, for uh, John Brooks, for Damian Red, for CJ Baxter. There's a couple of other running backs as well that are going to be in the mix. Cole Thompson, a Longhorns country, currently in the sports zone. All right, Harold, the quarterback, Quinn Ewers. He had some good moments last season, including Alabama, before he got hurt in that game. Some not-so-good moments, including the loss to TCU. So what areas do you think Ewers has improved since the end of last season, and where does he need to show the most pro progression this year? Yeah, dude, you're talking to an Alabama alum. We don't mention the Quinn Ewers game because that was a very challenging thing. Um, 
He's got better with his accuracy. That's definitely a big thing. Uh, when I say accuracy, I mean deep ball accuracy. Because there was multiple times last year that he had Xavier Worthy winning one-on-one matchups against corners, and he just overthrew him. There was no excuse for it. Now, on the same token, there was the Alamo Bowl game, which a lot of people are turning to as the kind of why was Xavier Worthy acting like he didn't want to beat their game. Xavier Worthy had a broken team in that game, so he can't really negate him for trying to make one-handed catches when the other hand literally couldn't hold anything. So that's a big deal. But they've really worked hard with uh, A.J. Milby, who is their offensive uh, quarterback coach and the uh, co-offensive coordinator. They've worked really hard on ball placement on deep shots. So I expect this team to be an offense that's going to really work in the middle of the field and get the defense to start fighting. That way they can take a few deep shots down the sidelines every game. They have the wider receiver personnel to do it. I think the confidence as well is really working well. You're seeing a maturation from him. He said at SEC Media Days, part of the things he really wanted to do was lose the beard and lose the disheveled man look because of he's 21. He's about to be 21. He wants to look like he's an adult. He wants to look like somebody that you would trust to not only watch your kids, but somebody who you could watch the offense with. That's really a big step. He cut out all fast food this offseason. He lost about 21 pounds, and he's added about 10 pounds of muscle. So when you look at his body, he should be able to stay in the pocket and withstand those hits a little bit longer. I just look right now at where he is. I think that there's hesitation to go ahead and delete all the first-round hype, Heisman, Trophy, Honor, Buzz, whatever that is. But there is reason to believe that the productivity is going to take a step forward. And if it does take a step forward, so will the likes of his overall persona and image as well as probably that. All right, so let's just imagine if viewers gets off to a slow start, so to speak, uh, does the Arch Manning and Murphy demand from the fan base start? How soon does that uh, kick in? Uh, it kicks in after week two to Alabama, depending on what happens. But I'm going to be completely blunt. I'm, I'm tired of hearing about the Arch Manning. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of hearing about Arch Manning. I'm tired of having to talk about Arch Manning because Arch Manning's not playing this year, unless there is an injury to, uh, to Malik Murphy. I know who he is. I know what he is. I know what he does. I know what he can be. He's made it abundantly clear to start teaching that the next guy in line is Malik Murphy. And Malik Murphy is a quarterback that has every intangible that you look for in a passer. He reminds me a lot of Arkansas' KJ Jefferson, if I'm being completely honest. His arm strength is impeccable. He has excellent footwork. You're not asking him to run a lot, but what you are asking him to do is to maneuver outside the pocket and let plays and fold downfield. He's got that physical presence that you really want. He's a sturdy lower body. He's got great hip motion. He's able to turn right to throws and make it look like it's no one's business. He has all the impeccable standards of what you're looking for in a power five quarterback. And he is also one of the highest NIL players in Texas because if they kept him on campus, that way he wouldn't transfer. So as much as the Arch Manning debate is here, Arch is made for the SEC. He will be brought in when the SEC comes calling him when the time is right. For now, it's the Malik Murphy show until further notice. Doing risk not deliver. The defense uh, last season uh, had some issues stopping the run, 90th in the nation in passing yards allowed per game. You mentioned that they certainly increased uh, certainly the level of talent in some spots. So, what are your expectations for that defense this season? 
Top 50, I think, is a probably good expectation. They have a good linebacking core. They really like what they have in the new kid, five-star talent, Anthony Hill Jr. They think that he could be an immediate plug-and-play starter with time. Uh, they really think that Jalen Ford, who is the preseason Big 12 defensive player of the year, is going to come out swinging right away. I mean, last year he had the most interceptions by a Texas linebacker since 2003 when Derek Johnson was there. Uh, they really, really do like what they have at the front seven. Uh, they love Byron Murphy. They think that they just add in a uh, guy, a Thrill, uh, Thrill Withers. He's a uh, former defensive lineman from Minnesota. Very, very good player. Devondre Sweat, another guy that they think can come in and replace production loss by Alfred Collins. Uh, so they, they really like where they are as a program. I mean, Keontae Coburn, uh, they really like where they are as a program. They think that right now they have good depth, they have good starter mentality, and they have great right for what I think would be a competition because if they know that the guys who are in starting roles may end up starting week one, but if they have any bit of regression, the guy waiting in the week is going to take over that week two. Talking University of Texas football, previewing the season with Cole Thompson of Longhorn Country. Texas and Oklahoma leaving the conference after this year uh, for the SEC, as you've mentioned a couple of times. Is it make it more difficult this year, week to week, uh, with the Big 12 opponents wanting to beat UT and or uh, U, uh, OU one last time? No, I mean, Texas and Oklahoma have had the target on their back since really the culmination of the Big 12 in 1996. I mean, everyone's literally been gunning for those two because they're the most prominent program. They're the ones that bring in the most money. I mean, if you go back and listen to when they said they were potentially leading the conference in 2021, Everyone and their mother decided to say, well, this conference is not ready to dissolve. We can't survive without Texas and OU. We can't survive without Texas and Oklahoma's money. We can't be able to keep our funk or keep our lights on if these two programs don't go ahead and sign off on us being here. So they really want to beat Texas and Oklahoma every single year. And the last few years, it's been really for praise by really everyone in the conference besides those in Norman and Austin when you see a Baylor-Oklahoma State Big 12 championship, or you see a TCU-Kansas State Big 12 championship. People are buying into that. They absolutely love the fact that right now there is no questions or qualms where they are as a team. They know what the identity is and what the actual end game plan is. So I look right now, and I think that they're going to be gunning no matter what protection of Oklahoma. Like, they want to win every single game on the schedule, but it means a little bit more because it always means a little bit more when you take on two flagships. Okay, the 2023 schedule, you know, we already talked about the Week 2 game in Alabama. The Big 12 starts, uh, you know, the slate, is, actually the Big 12 slate includes the annual game against OU. That's the first week of October. Then there's consecutive weeks to begin November against Kansas State and TCU. How's Texas stack up against K-State, which did win the Big 12 Conference Championship game last season, and also stack up against TCU, which uh, you know, you know you played in the CFP Championship game a year ago. So how do they stack up with them and, of course, Oklahoma? Everything right now needs to be flipped. It's how do these teams stack up with Texas? Because from a talent standpoint, there is not a better team in the Big 12 than Texas. I mean, the reason why they had 41 first place votes out of 67 was because you look at that roster, top to bottom, find a flaw. I mean, you're really talking about maybe coaching. You're talking about maybe quarterback play. And the good news is that you like that you have depth at quarterback. Kansas State, I think, is going to be a really intriguing team. I had them actually second in my big 12 preseason poll because I really thought that what they brought in 
from the likes of the transfer portal and what they were seeing from last year, especially with Will Howard at quarterback, they're going to be in a very good spot to, I think, go close to repeating as Big 12 champions. But I do have questions in the run game. They did add in two running backs this offseason, which is really good for them. But the other thing is that they have to be able to, I think, understand that the offensive line, there's a little bit of a step back, even though they have all-American offensive line, which is DB. I think they really like what they have also on the defensive front. But they also did lose Felix and Tiki Uzama, who went in the first round of the Kansas City Chiefs. TCU got crazy in the transfer portal. They added in four Alabama players, including wide receiver JoJo Earl and Tommy Brockermeyer at offensive tackle. But the real question comes down to how to replace Max Duggan. Because Duggan also wasn't the initial starter last year. When they took on Colorado, Tyler right. Morris won the job. But there was a belief factor that you had with Duggan that people just ran with. And then also... Garrett Riley eventually had the final say, and he said that right now, Doug leaves us the best chance to win. Well, you're also changing up the complete offense because it's no longer Garrett Riley. He's a Clemson. He brought in Kendall Bryles from Arkansas. So the offensive perspective is going to be a little bit different. It still is air raid, but it's not as air raid as you think that probably the Garrett Riley system would be. How does Chandler Morris fit that persona? How does Chandler Morris feel about leading the charge. And they've, there's been conversations to those I've talked to at Fort Worth that have said they have two really good young up-and-coming quarterbacks that if Morris does not deliver early, they may pull the plug and try and just go with them and see what they have. It's going to be a step back here, Frederick, to TCU. I think that 8-4 is plausible. I don't think that they're going to be repeat Big 12 contenders. I think that Oklahoma has a better shot. you got to realize that Brent Venables isn't on the hot seat, but he has been running his mouth like somebody who had everything handed to him last year and was able to deliver. This sounds like a guy that had 10-plus wins. He he got handed a program that was in the Big 12 title game for almost every single year. Five, six, six, they won six out of the last eight Big 12 titles, and he goes sub-500 for the first time in over three decades. I mean, that's a problem when you have that. So they spent a big time this offseason going to the transfer portal. They brought in Deshaun McCullough from Indiana. Uh, they also feel very confident with their recruiting class. Peyton Bowen's a really good safety, five-star talent. They expect him to start right away. So Oklahoma's probably a rebound team, but it's still not the same level as Texas. Okay, last up, uh, the over-under total in uh, you know the, the world, basically. The consensus uh, for Texas uh, this year is 9.5, so Texas over-under 9.5 wins in 2023. Over. I think they are 10. I think that they probably are close to even 11, if I'm being real. Uh, I could see them where they go 10-2 and two on the season. Uh, I definitely think that you're looking right now at a win. If I would be a betting man this morning at Alabama, but they drop a random game. I think that they are going to beat up on people. Like I think they are going to win games against teams like uh, Kansas State, and then they'll probably beat uh, Houston, but... I worry about two games on the schedule. The first one is Texas Tech at the end of the season. That's a game where Joey McGuire is going to have a brand new entire defensive front playing at its peak and cues. That is a very big trap game. And then I also worry about the Houston game. I think that they're going to be coming off the bye week. They're going to have that mm. moment where their bodies are going to be either really relaxed. They have to stay the course. The last thing you can do is have trepidation. I think they finished ten and two on the year. I think eleven and one. I think they punched their ticket back to the Big Twelve title game for the first time since twenty eighteen. But I'm not gonna say they're gonna win the Big Twelve title. I have to see what they look like on the field. I've been burned too many times and as soon as you go to that Texas back to go ahead and have that PTSD. Cole, thanks. Uh, it's good talking to you. And um, I'm, if they're that good again, uh, or if they're that if they're that good this season, I'm guessing we'll be talking again during the season. Thanks a lot.
Anytime, guys. Cole Thompson of Longhorn Country. Uh, 